So last week, uh, the Honorable Matthew Peterson <coughs> testified uh, on behalf of a Senate Judiciary Committee as one of President Donald J. Trump's judicial nominees. And it has since become maybe uh, the best video I've ever seen of anything. And what really could just be a supercut of awkward conversations. Yeah, of what happens when you can't answer basic legal <laughs> questions and you're trying to be appointed but to a for life like, term yeah, for education, as a district court judge. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to cheers to Matthew Peterson for three reasons. One, for having the whatever it takes to feel like I don't know how to answer, answer basic legal questions, but I'm going to sit in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee because I don't have whatever that is. So good for you. Unmitigated gall? Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Two, for arguably topping what I thought was the worst congressional testimony in his- history and replacing Betsy DeVos as single-handedly the most ignorant person to sit in front of. Yeah. A, a, a committee of any kind. Queen. Yeah, that's right. He took her down. That's right. And then With three... His level of stupidity. The third reason I want to cheer to you, the Honorable Matthew Peterson, is because today you had the wherewithal to withdraw your name from the hat. See, that's a twist ending. That, There's a narrative arc there. That's the, the, whatever unmitigated gall, what you might call ignorance also it takes to do that in the first place, largely isn't followed by, and now I realize how bad it went and I want to get out. Or at least it hasn't been in the Trump administration. Yeah. So cheers to you for all accounts. Yeah. Tink. It's a lot of plastic and aluminum. It doesn't make good noises, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could get a sound effect of people taking mm. plastic. Moving together. on. Okay. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix 6 where we have six conversations, drink six beers, do a rating system out of five points, and talk about whatever comes to mind in this wild and crazy day and age. Uh, I am your host, uh, along with Spencer, my uh, esteemed co-drinker, and uh, we are here to uh, give a rating system for the episode before we start here in the pre-party. Now, Spencer, as you pick the tars and feathers off of you from your nacho-based rating system Man. over the weekend, um, <laughs> you I, Facebook group. I see you've adopted a new strategy to rating systems here to try and you know sort of resist the mob anger that typically is directed towards you. Many of my new rating systems will now feature very personal experiences so that you cannot disagree with me, you fucking heathens. All right? So we can and will. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> number one, that feeling I get when I touch chalk. Right. Exactly. You know what it is. No, you don't. Right. Right. No, my feeling. <laughs> that feeling is great. Shut up. Um, esteemed co-drinker, which will go on my tombstone, uh, is ready with a five-point rating system that I don't give a fuck if you've had different experiences because they weren't mine. Um, if you've listened to any of this in the past, you know that we rate and review six beers. We do it on a five-point scale. A one is the worst beer we've ever had or something like it. A five, on the other hand, is a really wonderful beer. Maybe in the best beers you've ever had category and you want to continue to find that unicorn of a beverage. And today... We'll be rating beers based on shows I went to in my former life. So I went through a pretty rad emo phase. But as part of that, I was trying to expand my music repertoire. And so I went to all of the shows that I could go to for like a six to ten year period. Yeah. And in that time, I amassed a number of shows that I really liked, a number of shows that I really didn't like. And along the way, also stumbled across some gems. And so today, we're going to talk through all of those. So one for me, a, a, a beer, or in this case, a show, that is the worst fucking thing. Um, Joel McLeod and I, Jolie Joel, we drove to Truman State University in the year 2005, I believe, to see Fallout Boy. 
at the no to see yellow card at the Truman State University like student gymnasium. Mm-hmm. But opening for yellow card at that show was a band called Lucero who continued to make music for years, and it was single handedly the worst hour of my life. There were people in two thousand. You guys know what it was like. You were all there. That's right. You weren't <laughs> assholes. Call off your dogs. There were. <laughs> How dare you? There were people. I hope there's one comment. I was there. Yeah, you remember those like those like pretty standard Nokia phones in two thousand and five that mm-hmm. had the big screens and they all had snake. Yeah. Almost everyone in the gymnasium was playing Snake for the entire hour that Lucero played. It was absolutely awful. And and here I am painstakingly waiting for Yellow Yellow Card was to be my 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 fucking salvation there. Okay, that's how bad Lucero was. <laughs> uh, two. Um, also in 2005, maybe, maybe early 2006, I don't fucking remember anymore, um, I went to Warp Tour with Jacob Brewer and also Joel McLeod and saw a number of great bands there. One of those was not Fallout Boy. Um, I heard Fallout Boy was playing on a stage. I darted over there because I was really into Sugar We're Going Down at the time. Oh God! Let's talk about let's talk about the magic of editing uh, in in a record studio. Producer <laughs> Ross, go ahead and tune out. That's where they like put effects on the stuff. Um, <laughs> Patrick Stumpf Whoa. doesn't sound like Patrick Stumpf. He sounds like what I sound like when I try to sing, and also I'm dying. It was the worst. <laughs> I listened to Sugar We're Going Down, and then I left the stage to find anyone else at Warped Tour. And that's hard to do, you know, to like want to leave a band that big because it sounds that bad. Now we're into like the pretty good stuff, run of the mill. I've seen Tom Petty four times now, all with my mom. Uh, Tom Petty is the standard by which I evaluate shows. <laughs> Here's the best part about this. It's all based on personal experience. You put Tom Petty at a three, and people are still going to be just, pissed at yeah, you. They're going to roast me. Tom Petty is the standard for shows for me. I would always go to a Tom Petty show. Is maybe it a three because of the, your mom, or is it? Uh... It's a three because it's the expectation now for me. Okay, that when I go to a show, if you can't be better than what I think is a really good show, Tom Petty, God. get the fuck out. Yeah, roast me. Do it. Okay. Uh, Okay, number four. Now we're getting into the cream of the fucking crop. Best things I've ever seen. A four. Florence and the Machine at the pageant was damn near perfect. It's a good venue. We were maybe... As everyone knows in our audience. That's right, because you've all been to the pageant, (laughs) and you were at Florence and the Machine in like 2013 or some shit. I don't know. You weren't. Um, (laughs) It was damn near perfect and would be a five, but for the fact... That in the year 2006, maybe, mm-hmm. you and me and Kevin Ellis and Adam Bolin and Jacob Brewer saw Guar. Hard agree here. At the Rockwell in Springfield, Missouri. That venue doesn't even exist anymore, and I assume it's because They Guar tore it down because Guar was done playing. Caked it in too much fake semen and bile and blood that they literally couldn't use the building it's anymore. It's a transporting experience. <laughs> I, two things happened that I, I really... I feel about Guar Live like a lot of people seem to feel about, like Hamilton? That's right. That's right. I don't know. I'm never going to get to go see a Hamilton or, show. Or religious... Is there a splash zone? Religious conversion experience. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. At one point after michael jackson had been brutally murdered yes. the biggest on-stage fake penis you've ever seen it is pretty large just started shooting things and i won't get into the particular makeup of the thing and, you know guys it's not in a gross way it's not like rammstein right, right? Exactly. it's tasteful right it's art guys <laughs> guar and tasteful in the <laughs> all oh, over right. us <laughs> yeah and i thought okay well so this is either the weirdest or the coolest or then the we went to waffle thing. house then we went to waffle house and i swear to god <laughs> 
slight moment for an anecdote. We are all purple and green and blue. I mean, we look like we just got out of like the aftermath of a Smurf explosion. And we are sitting at the bar at Waffle House. And this woman comes over and asks if we had an interesting night. And we had not coordinated. We had not planned. And without skipping a beat, every one of us was like, no, pretty regular. <laughs> that poor woman must have been the most confused no, person. No, she was a Waffle House waitress. Yeah, she sure. was like, yeah, probably pretty regular. Oh, okay. They look yeah. like they murdered someone. All cool. right. At least they're cash rich. <laughs> right. I'll get a good tip. Right. You, want, you want chili on those yeah, hash browns? She was unfazed. Yeah. 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 Uh, I recently so, read in the news that uh, some th- the people at a Waffle House, the employees at a Waffle House, all fell asleep. Yes. Someone came cooked in. Cooked his own food. Cooked his own food. Yep. Cleaned up after himself. Left. Came back to pay the next day. God bless all parties involved there. <laughs> Waffle House <laughs> is a blessing. We don't deserve it. <laughs> so that's our rating for, for system for today. Uh, with that, we're going to grab some beer. We're going to grab a dissecting our fun topic, and we'll be back in just a second. Hey, Spence. What are you drinking? So this is Mars Community Brewings, Ruby's Tears Goza Style Ale with hibiscus and coriander, which that's, is way too many words. That's a craft brew name right there. Let me add some more and by words. by that, I mean a paragraph. Let me add some more <laughs> words to the mix here. This is brewed for Mars Community Brewing out of Chicago, Illinois, by Against the Grain Brewing in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. Hot Bleepin' damn, people. Wait, it was brewed in Chicago, but for Kentucky. Probably brewed in Kentucky and then shipped to Chicago. What? That's how a couple of breweries... Do. So, for example, like the Rattler by Boulevard, I don't yeah. actually think is brewed by Boulevard. I think it's brewed in Minnesota, maybe, and canned, moved down, and then canned. What is this witchcraft? Um, trucking. Oh. Is, is, the, is the witchcraft <laughs> about what you ask. Um, okay, so Stillwater Rule, I'm going to try it live, uh, and let's do this. All right, he's, he's drinking it. Yep, it's, it's a can. going down his mouth, parts... Yep. It's yeah, mm, no change in facial expression. I no. shouldn't do the. I shouldn't do the describing. You really you should. should. No, you should. No <laughs> dead air. Caleb. It was like you were calling both a wrestling Caleb. match and a bull riding competition. <laughs> no dead air. Um, yeah, I don't love that, but I definitely don't hate it. Uh, uh Tom Petty. It's fine. A three. Oh, God, just the comments. I'm so it, excited. It's a, look. I love Tom Petty to death. I just. I, you know what? You know what? Stop. I love Tom Petty to death. No Tom Petty show has ever blown my mind, but every time I love Tom Petty, I'm like, yeah, that's a really good show, which is how I feel about a lot of fucking beers, people. All okay? Right, right, yeah. So just just go home. <laughs> um, Jesus. While I just anticipate the internet argument, Caleb, what are we going to talk about? Uh, in dissecting our fun, we're going to talk about a uh, great suggestion from Jacob Derby, uh, who asked us, what are other games, board games, because that's what we talk about in this segment, what are other games that could benefit from... A three-dimensional chess style embrace of the Z axis. Very cool. The Z's the up and down one, I hope, because that's what I assumed. Yeah. I am not a math teacher. So if it's if I'm wrong, this is gonna be a weird segment. You are an English teacher though, which is where Z comes from. So I know I know, but I for what it's worth. The, the axis part. It yep. just threw me off. Yeah. But definitely. I think it's the up and down one. Yeah. That's how I that's how I played this. Yeah. Right. If it's not, then then Caleb's wrong. That's how I feel about <laughs> yeah. that. Um you've already got a couple of uh, additions to this list of Z axis, we think, based games. Yes. So jump in there. So uh it is sort of odd because like I'm like, oh yeah, what are some good games that do that? And then I quickly spent two hours racking my brain for any game right. that used a Z-axis mechanic right. um, that has a some sort of verticality which is integral to the pieces. And there are many games that are themed vertically but are still represented almost entirely right. 
in a uh, you know two dimensional space because you're playing with paper and pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the ones I came up with are uh, two games that uh, you haven't played yet. Correct. Uh, but um, Burgle Brothers, yep. which is the by the same designer who made Paperback and Fugitive. Oh yeah, and it, it includes the same characters from Fugitive. Is a game about running a heist through uh, various people, and they they have guards on every floor that have randomized powers, and every time you move one of your heisters the guard on that floor takes their randomized movement pattern, mm. and if they move past you, you lose stealth tokens, and if you lose enough stealth tokens, it's game over for sure. everyone because it's a cooperative game. But the key is is that you have to steal, and there are variations of the game. You can do up to five floors, which I think Damn. might be physically impossible to win. But you have to steal... <clears throat> um, items out of the safe from every floor. And the thing is, the, the, the guard only moves on the floor where the heister took the last move. So as I figured out in playing it, the most optimal strategy is to get to other boards and spread your team out as thinly as possible. Mm, sure. Because if they move, you're moving a guard there. So like if I get a guy onto the second floor, on the first floor I've got three people, that guard's stuck and mm-hmm. not moving through taking my stealth tokens. Makes sense. Yeah. So verticality becomes extremely important. Love that. And then uh, Photosynthesis, which is a game I just got. Thank you, to Andrew Baswell. It was my Christmas present. I am excited to play it. Um, the Do you re- know what my Christmas present was? What? It was a customized, specific to me, Destiny-themed gun that's, made out of a Nerf gun. That's pretty awesome. So I win. That's pretty yeah, – okay, you win. Just had to slip that in there. All right. It's uh, my one win for the show. So everyone knows that Baz loves Spencer Moore. Yep. Now that that's established. Codified on air. Uh, photosynthesis is about growing trees. Oh, which that sounds pretty. Is, it, it is a very pretty game. Yeah. But it is very much based on sunlight. And if you have a tree that's taller than your opponent's tree in a space – you cut off the sunlight from the other tree. And it's physically taller because you're stacking these tokens up. That sounds awesome. So um, it is a game in which verticality is extremely important. Sure. If not the main mechanic. Uh, and then there's like Jenga and stuff. But sure, yeah. Jenga's a dexterity game, so it's right. just... So I don't like it. You're just violating... The dexterity game is challenging gravity. Right. So yeah. um, those are all I can think of in terms of like having integral Z access as a mechanic of games I've am familiar with uh yeah number nine is one that i thought of um where you're laying number based tiles on top of one another and you're bound by what was laid before you but you're also working upwards Uh to maximize area coverage okay um really cool game i've only played it once um with rick bagwell and Catherine yoder thanks so much for introducing it to us i'd probably like to check it out again uh, but yeah, that was all I had in terms of games which acted vertically as their kind of like core mechanic. I did, however, think of like some games that are not by nature built around the Z axis that I thought would actually be really cool if we added some of that verticality. And so, I, I did too. Yeah. Yeah. So first on my list, um, I tried to think of like area and or resource control games that I thought would be interesting um, if you added verticality. And the first one I came up with is Small World. Um, I think that. Uh, so 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 first, if you haven't played Small World, and I don't honestly don't remember if we fucking talked about Small World. I think that we have, but I may be wrong. I think here. we just assumed it as writ. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Anyways, in Small World, you're trying to take over territory from other players, and at times you're functionally doing battle with them with simple dice rolls. We ha- we haven't done a variable player power episode though, in right. which case. 
that's all we talk that's about. That's all we talk small about. small world's great at that. Yeah, yeah, because when you're trying to take over these other spaces and expand your army, your, your land control, what you're doing is you're choosing a, a type of creature or a type of, of player that you'd like to control and then a variable player po- power, which would allow you to uh, do you know different things on the board, like take additional resources, roll additional dice, etc., which allow you to kind of like modify how that particular creature plays. Um, and as I'm thinking about it, you know, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about Small World is that there's such a finite amount of space. So you're always yeah. doing combat, right, in a really good mm-hmm. game. You're always up against the other player. Um, if you were to add a layer of verticality, right, another space or even spaces above where there were different effects, both of moving from space to there space. There are expansions that are subterranean right? for Small World. I've not played with them. I don't know if they play with the main game, so, like, you have a war underneath the war that can pop up into it because yeah. that would be interesting that would be can, interesting. like tunnel underneath the mountain to get at the giants. right or exactly or you know the, for example a lot of the small world boards uh have water you know so adding yeah, some yeah. verticality of a bridge the ability to build bridges and then the ability to do combat on those bridges um i just think that one of the things that kind of like when small world washes into a big category of games for me it's because well it seems like a land control or resource control game area control game yeah what if we added verticality to manipulate the area control mechanic in the yeah. first place? And what we could do in terms of player powers, board mechanics, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 do you think of? Uh, I thought of a, something like Downstream, which is a racing game. We played it four once. Yeah, game was nice. Yeah, uh, which is a very interesting mechanic because you're given your cards up front and you're choosing when to play them. They God, not that only was a good game. they not only move your Formula One car. Downforce. Downforce is what it was downforce. called. Downforce. Yeah. Sorry, not yeah. downstream. Uh, downforce. Uh, they not only move your Formula One card, they move everyone else's as well. So you have to be like, well, do I want to get him ahead or something like that? But the thing is, in the racetrack, you can pinch each other off. Right. So you like uh, you take a turn like wide, and you're blocking lanes. So you're like, okay, I'm going to play this one that moves me forward three first. Right. Then I lock them down in a lane. And then the guy who moves six moves one behind me, but right. now he's locked down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I find that very interesting. So like some sort of uh, downforce uh, racing thing that would be vertical. So like perhaps if it was like mountain climbing oh, or yeah, something, sure. in which like you're not only um, like occupying lanes, there's like knockdown avalanche effects yeah. or things that can be thrown right. or bottlenecks. Or, yeah, yeah, bottlenecks yeah. And, and stuff. So there's the the sort of lane mechanic of downforce, but then there's like whoever is up front can sort of like yeah you know uh bring down effects and then like you could pull a rope or something if you're sure. beneath it to sort of the catch-up mechanic love that so um some sort of vertical racing game a yeah. climbing game of some sort or just vertical just drive the cars up the fucking mountain yeah which also be interesting fast and the furious yeah. nine <laughs> um, i think that's gonna happen so a game that i think would be really interesting if you added verticality and it's almost too complex as it is but i really enjoy it sagrada so sagrada is a dice drafting game dear god right um, so like sagrada on a connect four yeah, like kind of, of thing with or, the di- oh man that yeah would absolutely nightmare or or so so sagrada is a dice drafting game where you and other players are trying to build the most ornate um stained glass windows mm-hmm. and you do that by placing uh d6s of various colors across a paneled board and the paneled board can change every game based on what paneled board you choose to use and there are rules about like what colors can go next to each other and that's what right. numbers can go next to each no other number or no, and odds right, or- no number and no color can touch each other orthogonally the same number so a two can't touch another two orthogonally it can diagonally but not orthogonally same is true of a blue die and a blue die yeah 
what if we we expanded the kind of like 3D value of a die? And so not only could a two not touch each other orthogonally, it also couldn't touch each other vertically. You know what I mean? God. So you couldn't have a two sitting on top of ostensibly or underneath another two. Um, well, I mean, that wouldn't really work because you'd just be flipping the board up. Yeah, look, it would I'm, have to be. It would have to be like you're making a cube. I have not, which would through, be a fucking nightmare. I have not thought through the mechanics of how to do this. I'm just telling you, I think it would be very cool if we could think of a way. To no, do I this. agree. No, yeah. but like you, you'd sort of be making your own Rubik's cube. Sure, of, yeah, of yeah. colors, right? A little bit, and it would just be. It'd be a nightmare. It'd be nuts. Right. Yeah. No, no one would enjoy the game. Uh, but I would like to see it played is how yeah. I feel yeah. about that. Um, what else did you think of? And honestly, the next thing that you have written, I think, is maybe the best answer to this question. So I will admit that I was struggling to come in second here. Look, I know you can't put it in a box and have me assemble it because me assembling the already complex enough potion explosion marble box yeah. was sad and took the majority of a morning and a lot of cursing i realized i was a lot like a dad trying to build a playset for his or her child and and then like except there was no child and it wasn't except a there was no child and it was for me and, and it was I, a game and i was as frustrated um but if you could sell it to me pre-made potion explosion with some sort of like movable track system that yeah. is in, in put into put into the mechanics uh where like you're like okay I'm going to make this tube go here and move them around. Like, God, that'd be amazing. It would be incredible. It would be, it would be like this Rube Goldberg marble thing. Because, right. like, the tactile joy of potion explosion right. is something we've talked L- like about hamster, frequently. Like hamster piping, yeah. but for potion But, like, also, if, like, you could, like, black box the routes. Yeah. So, like, you're putting something in a slide. You're like, God, I hope that comes out in number two. Mm-hmm. And you just it just goes behind the screen. And you're, like, just hearing it click around. You're just, and like you're trying to move little gears on the screen to try and figure out the tracks and like brilliant. trying to do a deduction game as yeah. to which track goes where to try and figure things out and try and uh, stack your hand when you make your potion pull. Uh, that would, I think, that would tick all my boxes. It would yeah. be, it would be incredible. Um, the only thing I can think of here, it'd be an insanely elaborate board game, though. right? Yeah. Card drafting games in general, I think, could be more interesting if there was some effect applied by way of verticality. Mm-hmm. So thinking thinking not about card drafting games as the, the space or plane in front of you, but instead of multiple planes moving up and down. So yeah. a game like Dominion, for example, which mm-hmm. is you know 11 expansions deep or something at this point. I don't know. There's 60,000 Dominion cards out there in two boxes. Um, uh, thinking about where to play those cards and how playing those cards in different vertical spaces might change the effect of the cards mm. or limiting what cards could be played there and then the effect that that might have um, on you know the draw pile or on a more communal setting for those types of games I think could be really fucking interesting because one of the things that runs out from out for me in those games is a sense of difference even though i can draft a different hand all of the time at some point it's just me playing cards at you you know what i mean so how do we add a mechanic which i think makes that game slightly more interesting and verticality i think might do that yeah um oh go ahead producer uh there are two types of game well uh one category games that i think that involves a lot of vertical uh verticality and that would be uh war games uh, oh, particularly yeah. like skirmish games with, oh, yeah. with miniature figures mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of them have like well you build your own terrain for these games sure. usually and so like uh, most of them have line of sight rules yeah. and uh, elevation uh, there's also one specific game called Dawn Patrol which is a World War One fighter pilot uh, fighter mm. playing game mm-hmm. uh, it's been going it, they've played it literally for decades at Gen Con like I think since the beginning uh, and they played every Gen Con and it, I mean you can still buy it too obviously sure but yeah obviously a dog fighting you know biplanes would involve a lot of z-axis movements so. yeah that makes some sense um, so those are two categories there so it, it, I think 
if you actually have physical things or you're doing a very 3D uh, like Dawn Patrol does not use miniatures it uses little cardboard things uh, so it's on a hex map I think they use little counters to represent what height you're elevation at. yeah yeah so but well guys uh, yeah I just did taxes and I am not getting into minis anytime soon <laughs> just, how about Dawn Patrol then just let everybody know uh, so I understood that War Games had Z-axis and intentionally omitted them because I'm spending all of our money on booze and I have the receipts. But Dawn Patrol, um, we could do that. You, you know, hear that, tax yeah, man? All right, so we're leaving this segment. Right? Yeah. <laughs> just cut it. Just cut it out. Uh, have the receipts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I need another beer. We're going to submit that to away the uh, we go. IRS. Caleb, what is that beverage? I am drinking from Cathedral Square Brewery. Repent! There's an exclamation point. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was great. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. you like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, were we going to get a sound effect if you yeah. didn't have to adjust those levels? Uh, have no. I ruined it for the... Oh, man, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I am drinking from Cathedral Square Brewery. Repent, a rye IPA. Uh, turning sinners into saints should be a rye PA for what it's worth. But hey, awesome point! It's got a great art on the label. I have to say, yeah, it's very holy because it, it is. looks like Jesus is, is like Jesus just drinking an IPA. Personally um, endorsing this. Yeah. Oh yeah, there it is. Huh. It's a yeah. it's a Tom Petty. Okay. Yeah. Which means it's acceptable. Our Lord good. and Savior is the a three. expectation for a beer. Minimum expectation for, for a beer is to be that good. Yeah. Weird. No. Um, okay. Well, keep trying um, to save it, though. Yeah. No. I'm whole show. Save it. Hey. What are we talking about? Hey. Um, so Greg B in Ask Mixed Six asks for our bottom three holiday songs, and I have to say that I've, sneaky good question. I've gone Greg. outside my comfort zone here because I've already roasted the holiday songs I don't really like on Facebook in a rating system that was also not a good. And with. we're roasted in turn. That's right. So. Um, I have I have moved on from the things that I made fun of, mocked, decried on Facebook, and I've found new entries into this list, and I look forward to being wrong about these also. Caleb, you have an honorable mention, so I'm going to let you go first. Uh, so I'm going to pick something that you picked on your list. Right. Baby, it's cold outside. Right. For being a creepy, creepy rape song. Yep. And here's the thing. I read the arguments and have read those arguments before when you got lambasted online for that argument. Really did. And the argument is that historically, yes, it would be seen as improper as a woman who is unmarried to be with a man, even consensually, even if that man was not being forward, without somehow making it clear that he was being so forward and so insistent that to leave it would have been absolutely rude and that she could not express herself or her desire for this man who was in a consensual relationship without expressing it in such a way as she deeply wanted to leave Mm -hmm. as sort of feigning it in order to get past the gender norms of the time. And the argument is that that is why the song isn't creepy and awful. No! Like, rape culture was so fucking normalized, it had to be done in every regular interaction, and that's the defense of the song? No! No! Yes, he's not, like, creeping up with, like, the Visine bottle of Rohypnol. 
I got it. But the past is an unending nightmare. And that is a song that's an anthem for it. And why are you putting that forward as like, well, times were better back then. You could sing songs about pretending to be kept in a house against your will to maybe meet your one-day husband. Not a good thing. Not, not a good You just romanticize like, oh, well, you know, back in that time, the, the man had to pay three fatted goose for her and, you know, make an alliance with the kingdom. And so, you know, it's totally normal that he gave the three goose up. No, no, it's not normal. It was normal. And it shouldn't be normal anymore like many other things. Caleb, I feel like you're impugning the Stockholm Syndrome right now. <laughs> okay. Maybe unfairly. I don't know. Let the listeners decide. So anyways. So maybe a cold aside, I don't like it. Uh, and I, I wanted to respond to that unfair criticism among many you got for your weekend. Thank you. System. And that's why I'm not even going to take up this issue. I have already taken up this issue <laughs> and have been appropriately silent as I was yelled at for taking up this issue. I'm on your side there. Thank Esteemed you. Co-drinker. It's nice to be on a team for once, Caleb. <laughs> All right. Number three for me. So I think the sneaky part of this question is bottom three holiday songs, which I interpreted as I believe you did a little more generically than just Christmas holidays. Could yeah, be, this is going to be posted after Christmas, that's even right. though we're recording it right before. So as far as I can tell, I can talk about my favorite Arbor Day song and my favorite Veterans which Day is? song and my favorite. I, well, I'm not going to tell you right now because this is worst, not favorite Arbor <laughs> oh, Day songs. Okay. If it's you safe. ask that question, I will tell you my favorite Arbor Day songs. Um, okay, so 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 stepping back, as it were, expanding the frame to all holidays. Um, anything by a country music artist on or about America and the Fourth of July is not something I want to hear, and that might that might apply to all artists in all genres about Fourth of July or patriotic songs. But I know it applies to country music artists and Fourth mm-hmm. of July songs. I can't think of things that are more saccharine. More audience baiting, uh, nationalism baiting, patriot baiting. I- insert all of the baitings, literally all of them. Uh, it is it is that bears bad. angry right. bear baiting, country. yeah, fish baiting. Um, I hate every part of that shit. And every time one comes on, I think shame on you for doing this to these probably kind people who just wanted to hear you sing about like, you know being drunk and your dog dying and this is what they got instead so spencer hates the troops it's noted there it is (laughs) there it is just defends me on the baby it's cold outside thing and then immediately immediately there was really a a a faint uh maneuver because i'm gonna say i don't want to malign all of country music sure that's fair i do want to malign toby keith who's a piece of shit yep there we go (laughs) so i'm not gonna say like don't listen to merle haggard on the fourth of july by all means go for it uh I am going to say Toby Keith is a piece of shit, and you shouldn't listen to him. Yeah. And you especially shouldn't listen to Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, which is about, like, blowing people up in foreign war zones (laughs) and being like, yeah, salute the flag for it. Nothing makes me angrier or to want to leave more than hearing a Toby Keith song, maybe ever, but especially on the 4th of July. Uh, It has the opposite effect of what you're supposed to have on the 4th of July. I get viscerally offended. Like, I'm never more patriotic than when I hear a Toby Keith song, but not in the way he expects and not in the way he wants. So, um, yeah, it's awful. It's so patriotic, it's unpatriotic. Yeah. And it made me feel more patriotic. And to be clear, I spent 30 minutes trying to pick a Toby Keith song to mention by name. Because they're all terrible. Man, like Fallen Soldier or whatever. I looked yeah. at the lyrics on that one and I was like, oh my god. You... I don't I don't want to hear Red Solo Cup right. on, on 4th of July. Because it's by the guy who wrote Fallen Soldier. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They are the Michael Bay of 4th of July yeah. songs. Yeah. 
Um, okay, number two for me, and I did have to get back into Christmas, because look, at the end of the day, there are some Halloween songs worth talking about, and I think you're going to talk about one. But by and large, I think just because of the sheer volume of music made around that holiday, Christmas is likely to produce the best and the worst of the bunch. And so I've pulled from the worst of the bunch, other than the ones I've already mentioned on Facebook. And so number two worst holiday song for me, at least in this segment, is All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. Oh, God. Which is unlistenable, <laughs> even as a joke. <laughs> like if someone was like, hey, listen to this viral video or watch this viral video or listen to this song that I found that's really funny, we would be 15 seconds through that thing and I would be angry at the person that made me listen and or watch that thing. It is not enjoyable. There's never been a version of it that was enjoyable. Maybe the only version I could think of would be like a Mike Tyson version of that song. And only at that point, after he in fact lost his two front teeth and then immediately stood up and started singing that song in the ring. That would probably be like peak comedy and only in that moment when I go, oh, appropriate use of that song. What's number two for you? Well, this is somewhat related to my three. It's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, which as if Toby Keith has broken free from his 4th of July prison and started invading all of the other holidays and we need some sort of guardian scenario where like uh the easter bunny and santa claus and all of the holiday figures get together to stop toby keith like in the santa claus too yes uh the so Mrs. Claus. so uh <laughs> grandma got run over by reindeer is infuriating in in so many ways i mm-hmm. uh if if someone's playing it for you it's not because they consider it authentically funny it is specifically to annoy you and if it's because they consider it authentically funny, it just got worse because they're one of the least self-aware people. They're putting out 1996's hottest memes over the airwaves, and it's it, n- nothing's good. No one's celebrating here. No, no one's happy. No one's received a gift. I need to make a, uh, a confession. Here. Oh, God. Which you is- need to be careful. Because we have a working relationship. <laughs> and that's apparently all it is. Um, I, uh, esteemed co-drinker, I, uh, growing up, this was like something that was played fairly regularly in my household on Christmas Eve. And as a nine, ten-year-old, I quite liked Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Okay, that's fine. I have not listened to it in the interceding 21 years. All right. So I don't know if I would like it anymore. Yeah. So I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. No, I'm not angry that you liked it when you were 9 or 10. I liked all sorts of stuff that was dumb when I was 9 or 10. Okay, great. But you don't like any dumb stuff now that you're 33. No, I like lots of dumb stuff. That's the important thing. Yeah, but not this dumb. So I think I agree, but I don't want to just go all in, because honestly, I haven't haven't checked back in on this one. Well, go reinvestigate the tone poem that is great. I don't know what time did to this. You know what I mean? Um, Okay, number one for me, and... It's almost shocking to me I didn't make this a one, or at least like a two, when I made my Christmas list some weeks ago on the Mix 6 Weekend Rating Mm -hmm. System. The Chipmunks Christmas song, which I believe is called Christmas Don't Be Late. All that I know is the chorus where the three chipmunks, I believe there are three of them, are singing like about Christmas, you know, being here or being near or being indefinable because the pitch of the singing has wrecked your inside brain. This is a solid pick, and the reason I didn't put it on there is because I've never been in a room where this is playing for more than 15 seconds. Right, yeah, you don't hang out with a bunch of fucking... Couldn't couldn't tell you if it was more than a soundbite. Like, yeah, because it sounds like... Alvin! It sounds like it's being played on on a dentist drill that's like 
being put into my inner ear. It like, is unlistenable, if only for the tone slash pitch. I can't, I can't understand how someone makes it through the whole thing. I, I imagine, like, if I'm in a room where this is playing for more than 30 seconds, someone is going to pause the tape and ask me in a menacing European accent, is right. it secret, is it safe? Right. <laughs> I, I, assume, I assume that in the... Hey, Marathon, Marathon Man <laughs> reference. I, in, I appreciate that. In the Wrath of Khan, when he puts that stuff in your ears... I assume the creatures just go in there and just play the Christmas song by the Chipmunks. And of course you'd go fucking crazy. Yes. Yeah, like what else are you going to do? And number one on your list. Uh, This is probably not going to be a well-loved pick, but... It's okay. um, I'm going to get it way worse, so just go ahead. You've got my cover now. I'm not a big fan of the Monster Mash. Or anything that could be recognizable as a quote-unquote Halloween song. Now... Is there music that deserves to be played on Halloween? Yes. John Carpenter's entire catalog. <laughs> all of the Stranger Things soundtrack. Yes, yeah, all of the Stranger Things soundtrack. There are many songs that are creepy and have a place in a, a situation that's supposed to be creepy. Mm-hmm. But Monster Mash seems to miss that entirely and try to be about the holiday part of of it and like yeah the fun party no even when kids are about halloween they are trying to shoot for the john carpenter thing and then pulling back before they get too close that is the joy the carnivalesque joy Mm -hmm. of the holiday Mm -hmm. the like whoa like crazy like backup singers nonsense of monster mash nothing is less scary and like I can't tell how many times I've been going into a haunted house that will have like freaky sounds, and then next up the playlist is Monster Mash. And you know what kills everything that's going to be scary after that? Monster Listening Mash. to Monster Mash. Sure, I'm with you. I'm with you on the premise. I actually don't agree with the pick, though. Like, I think Monster Mash is fun around Halloween. One of the things I like about Monster Mash is but that... I agree. It is fun around Halloween. Halloween's not supposed to be but fun. But Halloween's not supposed to be fun in that I, way. I yeah. get you. Yeah. So here, here's my one. Here's my uh, my olive branch, if you will. If you want to listen to Monster Mash on Halloween, just listen to Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. And it accomplishes largely the same thing tonally. <laughs> yes. But is an infinitely better song. And Werewolf Bar Mitzvah is one of my favorite five seconds of music ever of written. anything. Uh, but it's not specific to Halloween. Here's the thing about Monster Mash. It's probably the best song on the list of things I've done, with maybe the exception of Baby It's Cold Outside. Right. Uh, but without the terrifying gender politics. Um it's probably the best written song of everything I've talked about here, yeah. and I'm, I'm acknowledging that openly. It is the song that most clearly violates the premise of the holiday it is meant to celebrate. That is that is why I don't I'm not down down with it. I hear you on that. I I mean I disagree a little bit because that chipmunks business. If Christmas is about joy, that chipmunks business <laughs> is about non joy. But by and large, I get what you're going for here. Um, I hope that people hate this pick as much as they hate my rating system. So at least half of the comments can be other directed We're shooting for 50 50 but i don't think that's going to happen right. so on that note it's time to grab more beer and grab more topics and see what else i can screw up before we start um <laughs> listeners i was at lucas liggers buying the recent crop of beers and I saw this one, and I got it for you, our fans. So this one's a special fr- from Caleb Holiday to you, special. patrons. So, Spence, what are you about to drink? You son of a bitch. <laughs> this is from Omnipolo, Omnipolo, Omnipoyo, maybe. I don't know. Omnipolo's Sploing Mango S'mores 
India Pale Ale <laughs> brewed with marshmallows, graham crackers, salt, and lactose sugar with mango and vanilla. What part of those do you like? No, none. <laughs> ale. I'm like yeah. pretty okay with ale and brewed. With is not an awful word, and I value the contribution of and to the English language. I don't know. It sounds like you really like the salt part. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. On mm. tortilla chips, they're my mm. favorite thing. I don't know. You're being real salty right now. So, okay. <laughs> I'm making a joke. You want to drink this that close to your computer? I don't want to drink this FYI. that close to anything. I yeah. definitely don't want to drink this that close to my mouth. But here we are. Three eggs and ham. Sam, I am. Oh, right. God, it smells Ooh, like I will vomit. not drink it on a train. <laughs> Come on, Spencer, lean back. Come on, you, oh. you're, it's a very dainty sip. He's doing. No, it. he he took all he could. Oh, God, he's really <laughs> thinking about this. <laughs> I don't think thought is what how I would. He's describe. suffering through it. Yeah, shaking nope. his head. Nope, not that. Yep. Not that. All right. Um. So here's what happened. Okay, so first off, I gotta collect myself. Here's what mango happened. s'mores, mango and s'mores. I'm gonna give it a shot. Here's mango what happened. and s'mores. Here's what's gonna Why? happen to you. On the front end, you're gonna be like, "Oh, it tastes like kind of a good IPA." You're even gonna think to yourself, "Actually, the sweetness kind of cuts such some of the citri- the citrusy hoppiness. hoppiness." Yeah, yeah. But then the back hits, and it's like, All right. "What? What yeah, no, happened?" No. I'm guessing it's the lactose sugar. I don't know. What I gotta fuck, try it again. I don't I know what the fuck that means. Um. I don't like... When have mangoes ever been good with s'mores? I don't like that. Um, that's, that's just... Oh, it's medicine-y. That's right. It ends up with the the like, the like bitter acidity of medicine oh, and I grapefruit. I like cough sir cough drop? That's right. Yes. Um, it tastes like an IPA up front and a cough drop in back. Like when you... By the way, the label design is straight out of like a 1990s Nickelodeon show. Look at this. Yeah. Green, purple, red volcano. Oh. It tastes like what happens after you throw up. <laughs> oh, gee. I just, I, I haven't even had But some. only on the back end. On the front end, you're going to be like, oh, it's a nice IPA, and it's a little bit sweet, and it's not so hoppy. Oh, my God, what happened to it? Yeah. You know what it's like? Um, it's like from Dust Till Dawn. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, hey. Yeah, this becomes should. a different movie halfway right. through. There's, this is just a movie about two <laughs> One guys. that is not quite as good. Robinson shit. Oh, my God, vampires. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, this is a one. Uh, it's definitely a Lucero. God, it's a lingering stick. back end, too. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to drink anything else it's a one but i want to say something that on the front end it's a tom petty and then it ends like halfway through tom petty was like i'll be right back guys and then it falls from a three to a one and breaks something and fallout boy ran across the stage and they were like bad noise vomit and then lucero <laughs> showed up in their place and then you're like oh man this show got worse um so anyways tom petty opened for lucero yeah yeah, yeah. so this is not fun um and while Interesting career trajectory while <laughs> i petty. While I do whatever this hell uh, <laughs> intentionally engineered for me is, what are we going to talk about? Uh, we're going to talk about an armchair director, your number one pick. And mm. thank you. We love talking about movies, too. Uh, Burke suggests, armchair director, recently the wonderful video essay series Every Frame of Painting officially wrapped up. What are your thoughts on video essays as an instructive medium in the modern age? Uh, and thank you for this, Burke, because... I needed to like mourn publicly that every frame a painting is over and Tony is not making them anymore because God, that was the best series on YouTube hands down. And I looked forward to every single one that was released and it's a tragedy that he's not making more. So I've actually not seen this. Um, I'm very familiar with it and it came up a lot, particularly after we had our conversation about Mindhunter Mm -hmm. and David Fincher. Um, So I'm very interested in it here. 
I don't have a lot to contribute to this. And I think that's because my brain has closed off all of its processing parts, having tasted the schploing. <laughs> um, uh, I am bad about watching videos. Like, I just don't know. I don't know why. But the idea of sitting down to watch a thing that is not a television show on Netflix that I can immediately watch more of or a feature film produced by humans in a studio with a purpose. You don't fall into a YouTube hole or anything like that? No, I've never fallen into – well, uh, no, but for every year I fall into a YouTube hole after after, um, – for trailers, I fall into a oh, yeah. yeah after Whatchamaduzer, uh, Comic Con. Yeah, uh, that is the only YouTube hole I've ever fallen down. I, I don't know. Like, so let me, saying all that, like having said personally, I don't really watch a lot of videos. I don't seek out videos to watch. If people send me videos, like occasionally I'll watch them, and occasionally I'll heart that I've and, and suggest that I've watched them when in fact I haven't, and hope that I can just pick up whatever yeah. I need to pick up next time someone says something about it. Um. I think that for what it's worth in an internet-based world until the FCC continues to strangle that um, out of us, (laughs) I think that video essays are a brilliant, topical, timely, instructive medium, which many more people benefit from than not, assuming they have access to those things. I'm just not one of those people. One time I did watch a video explanation of how to clean out my garbage disposal, and (laughs) I successfully did it. And you told us about it for the remainder of that night. I actually sent you a picture of yeah. me flipping you off because I don't think you assholes thought I could do it. <laughs> so suck it. You just kind of assumed a yeah adversarial relationship there. I did. Okay. And I don't think I was wrong. <laughs> um, so I, for them, don't really get into them. Uh, think that people have a lot to learn from them. So um, every frame of painting, particularly, is fantastic. I I for I I'd watched it before in my typical YouTube scrolling. But it wasn't until I had to teach a film class, of which I don't have any collegiate training. I'm sure. just very interested in film, and I've read a couple of books about it, yeah. that I got really into it. And I forgot that I teach high school, and no one cares what I say or do. And so <laughs> I prepared very, very intensively for that course, um, recognizing that like the students were not undergraduates, and they were not going to be film majors in college, and that I would have to you know, do a mere portion of the information. But I wanted to be there for like ask questions if they had them. They didn't. They didn't care. Um, and I soon discovered that our entire generation, or at least the ones where I are also over movies and treat them as if they are books, and a chore to watch because they're all of an hour and a half long. So I am in... The Grips of Despair. Where was I? Uh, anyway, so as I was preparing for this class, the thing that was most instructive to me, aside from like the very helpful books that uh, producer Ross let me borrow and the books I read on my own, was um, video essays available. And none none was better than Every Frame of Painting sure. in that you could teach an entire class just on Every Frame of Painting topics, and you would be well-to-do because they are painstakingly researched. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about just like pulling from major films and they have deep knowledge of the industry they pull from just interviews i have no idea where he got them from he finds people like michael bay talking about talking about movies like hitchcock with truffaut in like the least commercial way imaginable uh talking about editing and everyone i watch i end up finding a new film i need to go seek out because i've not seen it before or I need to. I I find a, uh, something I need to rewatch um, with new eyes. Like I always loved Jackie Chan movies, and like his Jackie Chan on uh, episode about how he edits a fight scene. 
just made me rewatch every Jackie Chan movie I'd ever seen and then more in like the space of a month just because I got so excited about it. So um, regarding that, what are your thoughts on video essays as an instructive medium? They're great. There are a lot of people doing fantastic stuff uh, like Tony uh, was with Everframe Painting. So like I find Nerd Writer very good on YouTube. Uh, and then Extra Credits is pretty good, even though they don't pull very well from actual footage of games. They do the thing. Mm. They have very good essays. But if, as far as like quality, I don't think anything will beat like the citation, the rigorous frame for frame sure. uh, m- movement, and the interesting subject matter of every frame of painting, and it's very instructive. Here's the thing, uh, though: um, instructive medium in the modern age. Yes and no, because YouTube's great, and I definitely use those in the classroom. However, in creating lessons for a class, as as a professor or something sure. like this, the amount of work that goes into a solid video essay yeah. is staggering sure. like and like it makes the amount that goes into an academic paper look weak because it's the academic paper to write for narration mm-hmm. then syncing that audio up then pulling visuals like and from every frame of painting sometimes 20 to 40 films that's crazy d- like pulling brevity diff- is hard yeah yeah pulling pulling individual frames and scenes from like an entire director's yeah, overall. Like, nuts. I have no idea how he gets all the movies that he like. One, like one thing I investigated from every favorite painting once I was trying to teach this film class is how did he fucking get a copy of that? Right. Like, because like right. I can't afford it. It's like fifty bucks for a Criterion Blu-ray, yeah. and I have to special order it. Like, so like the problem I think with the video essay is not because. Uh, it's not good for instruction. I think it's exceptional for instruction, especially when you're talking about something visual, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're talking about visuals in motion. Totally agree. Um, and you look at like the popularity of stuff like uh, how, did, uh, not how did this get made, the podcast, but like how stuff gets made or something yeah. like shows like that, which yeah. are just like process essays, just like literally process analysis essays for different, right. like mundane products. Pick a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you look at things like that, but like the production time it takes to make one of those pales pales like it's like nothing compared to like uh a, a, a an academic essay is just you, you know a one-off do it in an hour mm-hmm. compared to a video essay like yeah. you can't rush a video essay no you can't turn a video essay in like an hour before it's due on sunday at 4 a.m or something like that and i'm not saying that's when the best essays are written but i am saying that like a teacher that's got to do like six or seven preps like even if they're teaching something visual, does not have the time sure. to do a video essay for their specific subject matter. Yeah. So while someone might do it for a larger subject matter that may say appeal on YouTube, I think there's the stuff. The problem with that is that you, you're appealing to a mass market. You're pr- you're trying to make a lecture that appeals to everybody. Yeah. And the thing about every frame of painting is that they managed to do it. Like they'd have an essay about Buster Keaton, and then they'd be like, "Why do all the Marvel movies sound exactly the same?" Right. And do a great thing about you know the orchestral music in it. And they could balance that. And I don't think most people can. No. I did, what you're describing, and again, I've not watched one, what you're describing is not a normal thing. First, I don't think it's a normal thing to be able to approach any given topic with that amount of clarity, let alone sync up the ability to succinctly explain in narrative fashion, as well as show clear example of that the, the amount of storytelling uh, argumentative ability it takes to kind of string things together like that is not normal. Yeah, and there's like a technical acumen that goes into writing like an academic paper in regards to citation and stuff like that. For sure. But you have to have that mastered. Right. 
plus the technical acumen of like machinery and editing yeah. and camera work and, tying and lighting together. Right. and 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 directing and blocking plus the technical acumen of drama you have to know how to like block a scene how dialogue works and stuff like that and additionally you have to be legitimately insightful for sure and that's that is the hell of a sneaky Venn diagram yeah. you know what i mean you have to have these technical skills in multiple fields in addition to the ability to take something you love and abstract it and put it into a base principle yeah which is like tough i mean like you watch other visual essays and stuff that like every frame of painting goes on enough like f is for fake by orson wells and stuff like that and while that does have stuff that's like compelling in it it's still an art piece mm-hmm. there's still parts of f is fake for fake that i'm like what the fuck are you trying to tell me orson mm-hmm. and it's, it's not terribly instructive because it's still like art house because he's still orson effing wells and like he doesn't have to fucking explain himself and so as an instructional medium getting someone that cares enough to bring you along with them after they've developed the technical acumen of drama, the technical acumen of film, right. and the insight the of an argument, ac- yeah. and the insight of an academic, someone who still gives a shit whether you're in on it after they've mastered those three fields is a real rare find. Totally agree, and that's why it's a tragedy that every frame of painting isn't putting out videos anymore. But if you can find things like that, right? I yeah, mean, Nerd Writer's very good. Nerd Writer One on right. YouTube, he has some excellent stuff. If you if you're interested about Westworld, he does an analysis like a like a facial expression by facial expression analysis of Anthony Hopkins just talking about why he's a boss and like he makes the most compelling case for it I've ever seen like he's like yeah you like Anthony Hopkins I get it we all like Anthony Hopkins and we should let me break it down to you in a facial tick by facial tick why you should and it is pretty alarming and it makes you like appreciate acting more and yeah there, there's great stuff like that, but it's it's a lot harder to find now that every frame painting's gone. Uh, a couple other suggestions. Uh, do you mind for uh, no, video? Yes. Uh, one, uh, just looking through my favorite save, uh, one would be a Pop Culture Detective uh, because they did – I've only watched one of them, but it was a really good one on the adorkable uh, misogyny of the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, H Bomberman's not bad for yeah. video games. Like video games is an area where we need way more video essayists. Mm-hmm. Like and S, like, and you do stuff like extra credits, which is fantastic and insightful. But they just do PowerPoint slides in front of it because goddamn, it's hard to edit all that shit together, and they got to make games. Like um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another one. Um, uh, folding ideas. Uh, I've listened. I watched one called the, the vlogs and the hyper reel, which is talking about the genre of vlogs of you know those people who talk about their stuff uh, and then they do rapid editing cuts, you mm-hmm. know, to cut out the ums and the pauses and yeah. speech. Uh, and they compare it to Hyperreal, you know, the Baudrillard thing. Yeah, and to be clear, when we're talking about a video SES, we're yeah. talking about someone that's cutting from multiple different sources. We're not yeah. talking about John Green cutting out his albums. Well, this is analysis of that It's genre. an analysis of that, yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. we're also not talking about, like, somebody talking to a webcam. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's not, the vlog. That's not yeah, right. it, yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, ContraPoints. Uh, oh, ContraPoint is great. Yeah, yeah. Thad put uh, uh, Thaddeus of uh, RPPR put uh, me on. There is one. a lot of webcam talking in that, but yeah. it's so like minutely yeah. curated <laughs> by by, uh, by con- what is it? Alex? Uh, she I, I don't I, I don't know. Her, I forget yeah, her name. She's is. a transgendered woman who talks about politics, and she does. Mm. Uh, she's done a, a great series on fascism and the alt right, and, and she just jumped cut between news footage yeah. and comments. Screenshots mm-hmm. cool. and stuff like that, and it's great. But then her like talking to the camera things involve like elaborate costumetry and like yeah. intricate lighting mm. and editing and stuff like that. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. those are those th- those. Uh, so so there are th- good yeah. ones, but like I don't think they're gonna 
gain steam just for the amount of work it takes to create good ones. Does that make sense? Um, I think I don't know. I, 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 I it's still in its infancy, so it's kind of hard to see how yeah. the, the Volksgeist is going to go. Uh, I mean, you also have kind of things that aren't quite as high effort, but are are close to that, like the Cracks video series. Although they just fired a bunch of the writers, so who knows how that's going to yeah, go? They fired, they yeah, they fired like more than half the staff. Yeah, so. I, I, yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know where it's going to go. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's a very volatile, very sort of fluid kind of situation. So, so I guess treasure when you find them. That's yeah. all I can tell you there. Uh, yeah, uh, and use so. them if you can, because it seems like you know there are a lot of really quality opportunities out there to learn some really unique and interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, but you know, don't fall for the shit. Yeah. Oh, there's oh there's I can't remember the name of it. There's one that's on Patreon too. That's uh does a uh, did a whole series on World War One, and they did it like week by week of the entire oh, wow. war. Jesus. Uh, yeah. And very detailed, obviously, using footage and uh, some historical footage, but like that's. No. Oh, God, I can't remember the name of it. But, anyways, uh, if you look up World War I, it's probably yeah. on the top of the so, list. So, uh, that, that's what I have to say about that, Burke. Thank yeah. you for uh, the suggestion. Uh, we'll get on to another beer and another topic. Bye. Caleb, you have a new beer in your hand, and that beer is? I am going to drink Main Street 4204 Brewing Companies. It's too many words. Pecan, brown, ale, brewed with pecans. Ah, I couldn't see that. Are there periods? Yes. It is how I read it. Um, I'm going to give it a shot. With with all that added punctuation? I appreciate that they told you twice that it's both a pecan brown ale and that it's brewed with pecans. (laughs) I wouldn't want there to be any confusion that perhaps there were almonds. Is or... this like a referendum on how Caleb thinks of pecans? Maybe a little bit. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. How, are you pecan? Here's the thing. Pro-pecan? I think they included it twice. Yeah. Because it's actually in the beer twice. Never. Oh. They can't I think they're trying other. to like sneak mimetically, mimetically hack me into tasting pecans. Right. Right. Oh, like, neurolinguistic sort of, program. Yeah, yeah. Sort, of, sort of prime me right. to yeah, believe yeah. pecans are in it. And yet I taste none. There's, no, mean, there's no pecans. Yeah. Would you say there are zero pecans in that beer? Would you be willing to wager that bet? I, I yes. I mean, it's drinkable. It's not bad. Yeah. But like, what do you feel about pecans? I love pecans. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So that's that's where it's like losing on me. It'd be a three in that. Like, it's not objectionable, but it's not a three. It's a fallout boy because Damn. there is a fallout after I'm like, hey, pecans, and then they're they're not in false there. advertising. Yeah, I don't. I, so if this had been marketed as generic I, beer, I expected, a, this would be a three. I, yeah, I expected pecans no less than two times. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I got them none If times, this were just Main so. Street 4204 it, Brewing Co.'s Ale. Yeah, that, if it was a brown, like no. it'd be a three as a brown. I don't, I don't know that we've had a beer lose an it's integer. Fallout. It's a fallout. Because it's it valid. set an unfair expectation. Well, then don't say pecan twice. No, no, no. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just... I'm to be honest, just, there have been a lot of beers be like, I don't taste what they say. Yeah, but I don't know... But this know, is the first time Caleb's actually... Said, that's I think right. that's good. I don't think they've been punished for it. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah they should you know. be. Evolution. How it dare only you, took marketing us, guy? It only mm-hmm. took us like more than 200 beers to get to an expectancy It's a learning process. A real refined palate Spencer, and a real yeah. destroy liver for in sure. a couple of years here. Yeah. Uh, so what are we talking about? So uh, in This Was a Mistake, which is your number two vote getter in our floating segment survey this week, um, hyphen or dash or just... I'm with hyphen. Or hyphen. Not, yeah, it's not even dash. Right. Suggested. And I wonder why someone wouldn't want their name mentioned on air. But then I read the question and I'm like, oh, maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah. So hyphen suggested, is it possible to sustain a relationship 
where you have romantic feelings for the other person, but not sexual ones, where they clearly feel both, maybe. Um, and I find this terribly interesting, and it's a clear indicator as to why maybe someone wouldn't want their name attached it to it. It was also thing. suggested for living with humans, but no. I put it in this was a mistake right. because it is. Right. Totally. Don't, well, don't. Yeah. I mean, there's caveats, but like... There are caveats. I'm playing the numbers on this. Totally and right. if I had to, if I had to bet that this was going to end well, yeah, that's not where my money would go. <laughs> no, I agree with that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would wager as many pecans as there are in that beer. Yeah, like, that. Kids, tell, kids tell me they're going to drop out of high school. I'm like, yeah, I mean, maybe you're Jim Carrey, but I'm playing the numbers. Did Jim Carrey jump out of high school? Yeah, yeah. I'm playing the numbers here, and it's probably not going to work out that way. Sure. Like, and, and that's how I feel about this. Like, Maybe you will shoot the moon and get it, but... I feel like this is a bad idea out for of, a number of reasons. Out of 11.6 million jobs that were added to the economy in the last 10 years, 11.5 million of them required some college education. So playing the numbers. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming yeah, back around. Hey, okay. cheerful. Right. right. For a hot second, what the, you said. The, the Sisyphean irony there is that the person you would tell that statistic to in an attempt to convince them to not do a stupid thing cannot understand that statistic. Or you so think he's going to be one of the point it's, one it's, million. It's yeah. real tantalus here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so generally, generally, I agree with you here. Um, a couple of caveats. One, this is about relationships, not not employment. By right. the way, yeah, well, yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> one, I agree. Well, caveat number one, um, I don't, I don't know. Um, so I'm not sure what your situation is. I don't know um, what you're into and what the people that you're in a relationship are into. And so I'll admit freely that there are probably situations that I'm unfamiliar with, but are not my situation. Um, and I want you to keep that in mind when you go to roast me about this rating system, where it in fact does work for you. And that's cool. Or you know, it works for other people. So I'm not going to paint with a broad brush and say you cannot be in a relationship with someone if you don't both have romantic and sexual feelings yeah, for them. And yeah, so I'm not talking about like you're both asexual right i'm not talking about your poly right are like your poly and you're romantically engaged with each other but one of you is asexual and then the person that has sexual interest in people has a sexual partner on the side like in a, in a polyamorous relationship mm-hmm. like there are ways to work but here's the thing it doesn't have to work for you it has to work for both of you right and it has to work for both of you over a long period of time right and that's where the numbers really fall down it's the, it's the sustain slash maintain trick yeah there, right i mean um and again if two people find each other and that's how they feel about things two or more people find each other and that's how they feel about things great whatever works for you no judgment here on that choice yeah not at all no um I what just I'm, don't want you to get hurt here in our dear Abby. Segment. Right. What yeah. I what I'm saying is that my experience, um, I had I know I've known a lot of people in a lot of relationships. I've not I've not seen it work, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I'm over on whatever that number is. And I'm not saying I haven't seen it, but what I've seen is the problem you've identified, which is I have seen one half of a relationship kind of feel that way about things mm-hmm. and not the other half. Yeah. And I've not seen the version of that thing work. Yeah. So maybe this condition here where both people feel that way is a real condition and that, that could work perfectly. But but I think you're right in terms of a number game, landing on another person that also feels that way. I, I have no evidence of it. Yeah. So like I'm going to leave out here asexuality now because it needs to be left out. But like I feel like it's a different situation if you don't feel sexual attraction towards anyone. Uh, and if the other person feels a sexual attraction towards people and is romantically engaged with you, maybe that's something you can work out. I don't know. And then the polyamorous thing, again, I'm going to leave that out because you're meeting your needs in different ways and with different people, and that works out. 
But if it's a general relationship in which you are sexually attracted to people and they are sexually attracted to people and you're romantically attracted to each other, but they are not sexually attracted to you and will never be, like, no. That's a bad... And here's the thing. I don't want to make it anecdotal that I haven't seen it work because I haven't seen it work. Think about it like a math game, man. Like, so you're scoring on the romantic satisfaction scale, all right? And they're scoring on the romantic satisfaction scale. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. Then another person comes along that they could score with on the romantic satisfaction scale, which happens. We... For everyone. Sure. Uh, there's the concept of work wives and work husbands now. Definitely. Like you guys click with some other person of the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever your sexuality is, and you guys get along just fine, but the sexual attraction is not there because you're in a monogamous relationship or it's just not there at all. But that can happen. Like, you can be romantically entangled with more than one person at once. Sure. But they're also sexually attracted to that person. Now it's a numbers game. Right. All right? Well, they're getting 100% more satisfaction by going with the other person, and you're going to go down to a 0% right. satisfaction. And like, so don't take it from me anecdotally, Caleb, relationship expert. Take it from me, economist. Like, it's a, it's a box checking game. Yeah, it's just like, well, they can get two if you get zero. Right. And you could both get one if they don't get two. Like, right. now, it's, it's prisoner's dilemma. We all know how that works out. Don't do that. Not like, in your favor there. Yeah, it's not in your favor. That's not a good idea. Also, I feel like it's just a... Just a place for exploitation. Like, I think that's. I've, I've been thinking about kind of like the nefarious version oh, of yeah. this this type of like mm-hmm. imagined relationship yeah. for me. Man, what a brutal, potentially brutal scenario that could be for one half of that relationship. Yeah, if, if the person who is both um, sexually attracted and romantically attracted, and the other person's just romantically attractive, yeah, attracted, and then like they are knowing it's not going to work out but they don't have the guts to yeah. break it off right that's sad in like on every level because it's not going to work out because they don't have the the ability to like you know sin eat and take that and say no we right. shouldn't do this but secondly if they know and they're fine with it and yeah. they're stringing you that is some sick stuff that's and that's that rough. was the majority of my friends in college <laughs> That's real rough. Yeah, that, and I've seen that. Yeah. Like, and that's and I'm not I'm not like listening to male friends, like male and female friends, just sure. strung along by these people that are had this sort of dynamic of power by not being sexually interested in the other person, yeah. and that's just sick and gross and wrong, and like even and you can stumble into it just because you're too nice of a person to say no, right? But like if you're in the bad situation where they do know and they're fine with that and fine with stringing this along till something better comes along, that's ugh, that's messed up. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is like in the in the pie chart of all the ways in which this works, I think there's a limited number. In a pie chart of all the ways in which this doesn't work and it's bad. It's the majority of the pie. It's like most it's like most of the pie. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like what you might do to a pecan pie. It's the pie parts. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the pie parts and maybe even like a lot of the crust. Yeah. And then what's left There's like a flake. It's like, oh man, the crust broke apart a little bit and so I've left it in the tin. Yeah. Um so if you find yourself in this situation and you're certainly the one who feels A but not A and B Maybe honestly assess and figure out in not feeling. And aside from the edge cases that you know, right. two white cisgender right. dudes know jack shit about. That's us, by the way. Uh, but yeah, but um, 
Yeah, me, it's it's a mistake. I don't. I don't. We're gonna call it on a mistake. I, yeah, I'm not crazy about more instances in which that happens. Than if it I were a dice about. roll in an RPG, I would say seek a different solution. Yeah, that seems that's reasonable. Not a, you don't have a good chance that of success. That is good advice. Probability, right? There. Right. Yeah. Re- don't don't Ca- roll on that. Caleb Stokes, roll counselor. Yeah, I think that's important. No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another beer. Another topic. BRB. What are you drinking with the knowledge that we are professional reviewers here and you cannot give it a five just for not being what you were previously drinking? No, I, I totally agree. There, I, I hope there's not like some sort interesting of... Interesting standard. Yeah, some sort of like uh, a rebound effect to bad beer. Um, so this is the Charleville Brewing Company's Box of Chocolate Belgian-style Quadrapel Ale. Um, so well, that's we a mouthful. It is. All of them have been, and yet none of them have been good. Um, oh, whoa. So here's to Throwing open. shade on long titles mm-hmm. in general. All right, he's taking a sip. It's a bottle, not a can, by the way. Looks like it has a pretty classy uh, label for the listeners at home uh, to visualize that. Uh, he's thinking. Mm, God. He's shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be good. I wanted a rebound effect to exist. So that's a five, right? <laughs> he's just lamenting over here. It's like a, a Greek that, chorus. He stuck his tongue out. It like, got sour somewhere. What's wrong with sour? Not good sour. Not like, uh, oh, this is a really good sour, but like, it. oh, this is sour. Like, maybe it got really hot and then got cold again, or someone peed in it. Um, well, don't say that. Oh, that's fine. Bob, no. Oh, absolutely. that's perfectly let me, fine. Let me, let me, no. That tastes like a milkshake. No. What Ooh, fucking what's milk? wrong with you? Spoiled-ass milk? No. That is not a good... I, I smell the chocolate. You got sploing in your mouth still? Wow. You still got sploing? <laughs> How dare you? Buy me a drink first, Caleb. <laughs> um, God, that... Yeah. It's a dark chocolate kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a dark chocolate. That's yeah. fine. Plus sour. No, that, it's it's good. That's I, a. I disagree. It's that, a little bit of sour. Yeah, I mean it's your it's your beer, but it's but not a bad. Sour. It doesn't feel like my beer right now. <laughs> um, it's I, fine. You're just being a. It, it's just a milkshake that's beer, and you're fine. Well, despite the fact that I know how everyone at this table Wait, what feels, number are you giving? I'm him? going to give it a two. That's a fallout boy for me. I would Whoa. not. I would not drink this beer again. That's fine. Yeah, this is not a good beer. Is it? Is it, Caleb? I feel like I feel like both of you were overly emotionally yelling I'm, at me. I'm this okay is a with a two. Fine beer. I think you were going hard one. That's no. what I disagreed with. You, you looked like a hard one. No, it's not a in one. your face. I, I'm just I'm just so stunned that both of you wanted so hard to convince me that it was an okay beer. To me, it tastes like dark chocolate and nothing else. Which like I wonder why I don't just eat some dark chocolate. Honestly, dark chocolate and nothing else would probably be a four for me. Uh, <laughs> and so that's why that's how that's how far from the dark, dark chocolate this is. Alright, alright, it's fine. Let's move on. Let's move it's on to something. Fine. It's else. a little bit less than five. Okay. It's a two. <laughs> um while I while I drink this debatably okay beer, um <laughs> we're onto the mix six mock draft, uh which is pretty fucking exciting. That should uh, be our subtitle of the podcast. Right. right. Debatably, debatably okay. okay. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> medium good. Um <laughs> Uh, we're on to the mock draft, which we haven't done a mock draft for a while, it feels. Maybe we have. I don't fucking know anymore, people. We're drunk and we do this stuff, and we do a lot of them. <laughs> uh, but in this mock draft, Ethan Cordray, great listener of the show, wonderful participant. Technical in, difficulties podcast. That's right. Yes, wonderful participant you. in most of our social media. Thank you so much, Ethan. Suggests, in a mix six mock draft, why don't we draft a team of three newspaper comic strip characters to form a tragic love triangle? <laughs> 
such such a, a great deep cut on multiple levels. Absolutely. Good job. All right. Pat so, yourself on the back. So, uh, as we always do for the Mix 6 Mock Draft, we're going to roll to see who gets to pick mm-hmm. first. All right? So Are we doing snake order? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because okay. right, mine is like a whole narrative. I rolled a two, All so right. that's not going to work well. Caleb probably rolled... Yeah, so Caleb rolled a nine. All right. I'm, I get to pick. Huh? What side okay. die was that? Was that a D10 or D20? D20. Ooh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go first, okay? Because we're gonna do snake order. All right, that sets it up better. Yeah, that's fine. All right, I'm gonna go with my honorable mention first, okay? Because he's key to setting up the actual love triangle. That's fine. Leroy Lockhorn from the Lockhorns. Now, Leroy loves nothing and is a broken shell of a man. He is not involved in the love triangle, but he is the key. To moving the love triangle forward. He's sort of the Roger Chillingsworth character here in this whole sordid affair. The the clear antagonist in this sort of scarlet letter of, of of American news and Sunday comics I have set up for all of you. So to be clear, he is the he is the evil, the 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 sin in the world that sort of makes it so all all of us unable to connect in my in my tragedy that I will lay before you in the future. But that's my honorable mention. Okay, I'm going to start with the apex of the ostensibly the apex of the love triangle. So, in theory, the character after which both other characters are lusting and which has caused the seed of this conflict. All right, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. Dilbert. And that is all I'm going to say about Dilbert. (laughs) He is plain. He is purposefully plain. He adds nothing to the story, but for the fact that he becomes the catalyst for a, an otherwise contentious and explosive problem between two other characters to be named. Now, given that we're going snake order, I'm going to draft again now. Yes. All right. So one night whilst at dinner with his, other and first primary lover, I might say, Dilbert is dining with Dick Tracy. And Dick Tracy is often accompanied by many of his sidekicks who are integral to his ability to fight crime. And in this instance, Joe Jitsu has accompanied (laughs) Dick Tracy to dinner with Dilbert to make sure that, you know, in case Dick Tracy needs help, like, picking something up or chewing. So, wait, who is Dilbert attracted to, tragically? Uh, Dilbert is tragically attracted to Dick Tracy. <laughs> and Dick Tracy is dining with Dilbert, but he's brought Joe Jitsu with him. I imagine this is a On very... a date? Yes. So, absolutely. Dick Tracy and Joe are together. Yes. Well, in as much as a sidekick It all is, comes back to shipping, doesn't it? That's well, really not necessarily. I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting, nor will I be suggesting, as I continue to unfold the layers of this narrative onion... Uh, I'm not suggesting that Dick Tracy and Joe Jitsu are in any way romantically involved. So Dick and Joe might be out as friends, but is is Dilbert misreading that situation? No, not at all. They're out as sidekicks, ace of point. Beast of point, Dilbert knows what he's getting into here. And I assure you that the relationship between Joe Jitsu and Dick Tracy will matter none as I get to explain the real meat of this narrative. And Dilbert is fine. With whatever is happening here, he's just happy to have landed a man as square-jawed and as masculine as Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy, even if that means that occasionally you get a Joe Jitsu or a Go Go Gomez on the mm-hmm. side. Okay, so so far I've got Dilbert and Dick Tracy. Your turn. All right, so I would do two in a row now. Right? Yep, that's right. All right, so I'm going to do Dilbert as well. Right. Uh, so Dilbert is uh, a main character in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, here's how it happens. I'm going to snake back around to one 
and then we'll get in the middle. Right. So Dilbert uh, feels himself owed the life lived by Leroy Lockhart and his wife, Loretta Lockhorn. So Loretta Lockhorn and Leroy Lockhorn, mm-hmm. um, because he does some brief contracting work with them as a mechanical for a, a deck or something equally tragically middle class they need installed in their home. And he sort of encounters their life. And at that point, Leroy and Loretta have the facade up, as the cartoons also say. They're constantly entertaining friends. They have the facade up of a functioning ma- uh, married couple. And he sort of sees what Leroy and Loretta has. Dilbert feels the clock ticking, much like Scott Adams and his terrible, terrible you know, need to do nootropics and be insane. He, he knows that he has left the... The the bus for the middle class life he always envisioned for himself has left, and he is alone. And he is a he is an engineer entering his fifties, still trying to date. It's just it's just over. It's tragic. And he sees what Leroy and Loretta have, and he wants he wants that. And he has in his insanity because Dilbert is not a not a healthy man. Right. He has sort of fixated and put that lifestyle that he feels like he has left behind and regrets unfairly upon Loretta who 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 considers him nothing more than a contractor who is he is, he is no more than the landscaper right. or, or or something else in her life she she he he means nothing to her uh as he is just for her concern another Leroy waiting to happen mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and she feels utterly trapped in the life she has with sure. Leroy makes Lockhart, sense so. makes sense but Loretta pines for someone else, which we will get to in my next pick. My but goodness. you're up. Okay. So, so far, let me, let me reset the scene just in case those of you have forgotten. Um, you know, this really compelling story I'm telling. <laughs> uh, of an evening, call it April 4th, you know, 2016. Uh, Dilbert, his, uh, his new and primary lover, Dick Tracy, as well as Dick Tracy's sidekick, Joe Jitsu, and that's an important condition, Mm -hmm. are out at a modern Italian dining establishment. (laughs) Um, Dilbert has ordered the gnocchi. Um, (laughs) Dick Tracy has ordered the lobster ravioli. Joe Jitsu is is not eating. I don't think Dilbert would order that, but okay. Well, you know, you you live and you learn, you know what I mean? (laughs) And um, in stumbles, the third leg of this increasingly complex triangle, Beetle Bailey walks into that modern Italian restaurant just to get a smoked old-fashioned at the bar, looks over. <laughs> Wait, Beetle Bailey drinks a smoked old-fashioned? He's really classy. There's a lot going on under that hat. <laughs> Private Beetle Baby. Bailey. He, he scans the room, sees not Dilbert first, but instead Dick Tracy first. Okay. Then sees what he can only assume to be between the fog of war and the fact that his eyes are largely covered by a hat that has rested over them for nearly 60 years, a member of the Viet Cong, as he has confused Japanese character Joe Jitsu for a stereotypical representation of a Vietnamese person so, in So Beetle Bailey's PTSD racism. Yes. Okay. Has come through wow. strong here. Did not expect that. No, you didn't. You didn't see that uh, coming, yeah, did you? I didn't you? see that coming. And so what he attempts to do is figure out how he can subvert Dick Tracy by way of his, his likely affection for a Vietnamese sympathizer, nay, a Vietnamese army member. And the best thing he can come up with is get back at him through the heart. At which point, Beetle Bailey sends a cosmopolitan to the table, not for Dick Tracy, not for Jiu-Jitsu, but for 
Dilbert. You're right. <laughs> for Dilbert. In an attempt to take Dilbert away from Dick Tracy as as a member of the enemy sympathizers. And so the love triangle is now. So based Beetle on, Bailey's been recruited by Psyops. That's by right now. Okay, that's right. All right. Beetle Bailey is attempting to undo sixty years of PTSD and bad vision mm-hmm. by having sex with Dilbert to get back at Dick Tracy for his stereotypical stereotypically offensive sidekick. Mm-hmm. That is correct. That yeah. is the love triangle I have written. And frankly, a good hour and a half film, if I if I say so myself. All right. Mm-hmm. Finish your story now. So, Loretta has no eyes for Dilbert, and definitely not for Leroy, mm-hmm. who's a monster mm-hmm. to her, and they can only sustain themselves through spite for each other. Mm-hmm. Nothing but eyes for Mike Doonesbury. Hmm. Political columnist, TV personality, a staunch Democrat, not something Leroy puts in with. That's true. But she's sort of attracted solely to his years-long, decades-long affection, his, his sort of leftist uh, huggability, his sort of endless uh you know font of humanity is what loretta has been missing from her life for decades and she sort of quietly pines for him from his byline on the Mm. newspaper Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or when he comes in on various talk shows that leroy then lambasts next to her however she does not know by by a fate of chance and the redesign of their offense that mike doonesbury longs for dilbert and is suffering mm. an existential crisis for her. all of his marriages have failed. Uh, his centrism in 2017 seems terribly outdated, and he realizes that it's because he's never truly been himself. He's never been truly honest with what he wants. And uh, as he sort of resolves to try and re- get over that in his old age and, and come out of the closet and be who he really is, he finds himself struck by his first attraction, he allows to give name this horrifically red uh, right-wing engineer that was randomly in the office whose political ideology disgusts him to his core. And yet Mike understands this, that this is somewhat psychological. Sure. His need to square himself Absolutely with this sort is. of 1950s father-knows-best idea of what America could be while he's got this McGovern Democrat sort of background and he finds that now that he's been honest with himself and what he really wants in the world that is sort of regressed in some sort of psychological unconscious need that he has for Dilbert who is none the wiser and so these characters Dilbert lusting after Loretta Mm -hmm. Loretta lusting after the man in the news she can never have the Mm -hmm. man on the news lusting after Dilbert who would be disgusted by his very affections this sort of tragic Carson McCullers Heart is a lonely hunter uh, triangle endlessly circles with with no fruition or joy in sight in a great American tragedy writ in every Sunday headline. So I think this one's pretty good, um, (laughs) but in an attempt to maintain my undefeated streak in mix six mock drafts, a couple things I want to point out. Um, One... I think mine's better, too, though. <laughs> uh, the the premise here was draft a team of three newspaper comic strip characters. You drafted four. Just no big deal. But no, no, I did not draft four. The love triangle is between three. Leroy is the awful force in the world that allows it to exist. Third, and I think maybe more importantly, you drafted Dilbert <laughs> after I drafted Dilbert, and Dilbert would have technically been off the board. 
And so I feel oh like... Oh, my God. You're so desperate. I just, okay, so you're not like, unlike Meg. Here's the real winner. <laughs> All right. So the ghost, uh, no, uh, not me, from the family circus possesses Garfield. <laughs> Raids Zippy, the pinhead comic for Mescaline and Peyote. And then they get, uh, hooks up with Kathy, and they go on a drug-fueled orgy bender. Uh, and that and so it's between the ghost, not me, Kathy, and Garfield. That sounds great. Yeah, that doesn't sound tragic at all. Right? Well, it's it's. Can I get an invite to that? <laughs> Do you know how love triangles work, Ross? Yeah, it's it's uh well, it's tragic because you know eventually possessed that- Garfield at me. <laughs> Tell me where I can meet you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you uh, have any? Well, producer well, Ross didn't read the prompt. Okay, well, mm, there's a theme. They run into, for better or worse, and, you know, it's so boring they die. Uh, <laughs> it's so boring they go read the preeminent romantic triangle established in the last 10 minutes. Why can't a romantic triangle be happy? Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. that's my question. Triangles aren't happy. And with that, we're Whoa. one more beer, one more slam segment. on a shape. See you in a second. In this, our final segment of this episode, what are you drinking? I'm going to drink Urban Chestnut Brewings, Urban Underdog, American Lager. Really great can, BTW. All right. It is silver. It's like a silver bullet. All right. I, maybe a beer should use that as a name. That'd be interesting. Yeah, silver bullet. Someone Anyways. can use that if they pay us the royalty. Whoa. Haven't they? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that was yes. the joke. Coors oh, Light. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. It's going back for a second round, though. Yeah. Ooh, it's not a good look. It's kind of a grimace. But he went. He Would went you for, categorize it as a grimace? I don't. It, it, it's 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 um per, perplexed, perplexed and maybe a little disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. You're disappointed. Is. I called disappointed. All right. I want you to take that and tell me if you. Okay. Let's assume it was just saying in a nondescript bottle or even a cup, and let's also assume you've been struck colorblind. <laughs> okay. You have no. You have no context for what you're drinking. Drink it. It's a bit of role playing right here. Would you call that a beer? Would be would you be able to pin it down as alcoholic? It tastes like um it tastes like uh like a bad version of like a Bud Light to me, if I'm being honest. I can't even detect Bud Light. Yeah. It's absence. Yeah, no, I I I see what you're talking. It's it's so light as to be non-existence. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. There's not a whole lot there. Also, a point off, just because it has that stupid thing where you pull the entire top The off. whole cap comes off. No, I, top comes I, off. I'm not even doing that. I am like right. in, in no, a world. I which, am. Right. In a world in which I have no psychological priming, priming, I'm not sure I could tell you that was beer. I think I could drink a bunch of them because I would assume it was not beer, maybe? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I guess I'll have another one of those. I'll give it a two. It's it's a fallout boy for me. Is that is that where that lands for us? Like... This doesn't even taste like beer. It's where so, it lands for me. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, no. There beer, are so many other a liquids. A non-beer is better than still water. It's not. Yeah, it's not a one, mm, is yeah, it? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, but it's still like. That's fair. Yeah, it's not offensive. Yeah, like it's just nothing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just not. I, I went out for it's, a it's beer like club soda, seeking a, a certain it's like yeah flat. Club I want something to mix it with, which yeah. is not what you want. Oh when yeah, you drink no, that's a, beer. a good point, and that's yeah. not what I want in my beer. No, <laughs> yeah, I just want my beer. What yeah. is it? What is supposed to be in this beer? 
It's just a, it's just like your standard. It's a logger, which is uh, which is supposed to be pretty non-existent, but it's all it's too non-existent. It's doing its job too well. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It tastes like uh, it tastes like if um, a a shitty domestic beer didn't have the worst back end. That's yeah. what I get. There. Yeah, yeah. I'm like okay, which I guess is an improvement. Well, in some ways, over certain domestic beers, yeah, that's totally no, true. No, it's a no. two. Yeah, I'm I'm hard on the two. Um, all right. Well, here we are in drunk enough. Our last segment of this episode, and Caleb, what are we talking about? I thought we should get on mic our hopefully, hopefully final thoughts on the uh, Patreon fiasco of what is now probably a couple weeks ago yeah. by the time this is posted. December 7th is when they announced it to uh, patrons, and then they... The repeal was on the 15th? Yeah. And then we are recording this on the 18th. That's right. Yeah. And so when we post it, who knows, but... Uh, As of the time of the recording, they have now balked slash rolled back. Yeah, our, their- dr- our drinking alone about this was sort of like, well... I don't know yet, right. and I right. still don't know a whole lot, yeah. but I do know that they finally peeled it back. So, so. like, I want to, um, you know... And this w- is definitely a drunk enough talk, because we're talking about you fine people who make our bank and allow us to do yeah, this. Yes, for sure, for and sure. And I want to be clear, we're on your side on all this, as I hope I made painstakingly clear in the Drinking Alone blog post. But, you know, we're also talking about you fine people on the platform that just tried to do this. So you got to be kind of have a few in you to think this is a good idea to talk about, which yeah. is how I put it here. So let me like uh, let me kind of like walk you through the phases of our and you know you guys jump in and and certainly my way of approaching this whole thing. So when it was initially announced, uh, you know we we initially started a conversation in our um, planning platform. We use GroupMe to communicate and coordinate show mm-hmm. notes and episodes and posting and all that stuff. And we initially. We, we initiated a conversation pretty quickly to talk about what that meant and, you know, what we could do about it and if there's any changes that we should be making. Um, and, and there was definitely for a little while, uh, at least initially, for the, the first couple of days, um, from my perspective, it was like, well, this is fucking terrible. Uh, and Caleb, I think from your perspective, it was, this is fucking terrible. And Producer Ross, I think from your perspective, it was like, this is fucking terrible, but we should also wait and see what's going on. I mean, I think you had a more yeah. measured response to this whole thing, certainly, than I did. I actually had a section before this was just fucking terrible where I just read the spin, like, sort of article we got from Patreon. That made it worse to me. Well, see, that did, see, that's the thing. I didn't see the reaction to it and the sort of breakdown of the math first. I literally got the spin first. Yeah. And the spin as like, okay... 95% for you, everything else is messy on your end, and it's variable. And, like, I watch the Patreon every month, and, yeah, it is variable. There's sure. there's there's month where we've gained 15 backers and made the same amount of money because right. the credit card fees changed. Yeah. And then there's months where we've made more money, even though we had almost no new backers because the credit card fees changed. And, sure. yeah, it's messy. And there's, like, it's not messy anymore. It's 95%. They handle that on the other end. It's fine. And so, like, just thinking about that was, like, Oh, okay. It kind of makes sense why they would do that. It is sort of like creator forward and all that kind of stuff because I didn't analyze it too much. Now, at that point, I hadn't decided firmly, but it worked on me for half a second until I opened Twitter at all. Right. And then I saw all these people who are much smarter than me that instantly said, well... Here's the thing, right. and then there were many things. Yeah. I uh, so like, yeah. and, and producer Ross knows. Well, I a, a follow this of, obsessively, so right. I can answer pretty much any question. Yeah. You have yeah. So like, um, you know, as we're kind <laughs> I of, got there too by the end of it. When, yeah. when we're going through these first few days, and you have to understand, I mean, you know, we responded certainly not as quickly as some other, you know, Patreons. Let's just be honest <clears> about that. You know, we which post, I don't think is a fault. No, 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 we posted we posted on Twitter day two, I think day two or day three. Like, we don't really like this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yes, it's variable for us. Yes, sometimes that makes it kind of like hard to predict and a little bit hard to plan. But by and large, we didn't care. I mean, we were all for you know eating. I was pretty grateful for whatever fucking for percent whatever I got we were getting, out of a right. dollar in the first place, and I'm fine to keep paying. Right, that. exactly. So we were fine because the getting, alternative before this was zero dollars. Right, and guess what? Right, this is better than zero dollars. You know, in, in yeah. some ways, it's not like we were eating the fee, but we certainly weren't paying the fee. You know what I mean? So it's like, eh, okay, yeah, it's not real money to me. Right, like, it's a it's a cost that was always there, and I was happy to keep paying for the privilege of being able to keep doing this. What became clear clear to me over time, especially after those first few days, when the response started to happen and it seemed like Patreon wasn't going to make a change, um, what what st- really stuck out to me is not the effect it was having on us. In fact, it didn't really have much effect on us. We got a couple of really nice notes. Uh, we got one nice note in particular from a listener who just said, look, yeah. this is a luxury for me and my significant other. We love you guys. We back you to $6 level. Um, we've enjoyed everything. We've learned a lot. But, you know, this is just not something. We, we don't want to pass on more money. And, 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 and I think don't really want to support Patreon all that much anymore. And, and we were really worried about those couple of messages we right. got. And to be clear, and it's, it's a credit to our patrons, I think. Yeah. We had about the best go of it as yeah. possible. Because, like, I go on Twitter and I'm seeing, like, creators that I really enjoy and that love. That was the thing. Who are losing $600 in a month. Yeah. And, and, like, and that's the other thing. And then I got to the point where I'm, like, start thinking about a strategic thing. I'm, like, December, huh? Yeah. December, Patreon? Right. December. Yeah. That's you, – you rolled it out in December. Like, right. when – a person that's a creative that's to the bone already really needs to know that $600. It'd be like if, like, National Lampoon's Christmas vacation, instead of refusing to give the Christmas bonus, he then went over to the Griswolds' house and stole money from them. Yeah. So that they were more in debt. It was wild to me the more I thought about it strategically. I didn't... The timing of it uh, never really... If there was a timing issue that was, like, kind of, like, stuck out more to me than the December thing... Because once you said the December thing to me, I think when we were playing Destiny one day, I was like, yeah, that... Fucking too. Mm-hmm. The, the the timing issue that, that stuck with me more was the fact that you know producer Ross had just gotten back from Patreon. Oh yeah, there's more than a, one timing a month, issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and there was no inkling of this from your perspective. They did mention. Okay, so one thing that I should bring up is they they uh, on their blog post they they said originally the original reason was oh we wanted it to be more predictable for you right but after the outrage they said oh well there's really two other reasons why we're doing this right and uh one reason is one for people who are doing fake fake pledges where they pledge at you know the second of the month yeah they download everything and then they cancel the pledge so they get which everything we have right which is a which is an issue mix six half yeah right. but it's an issue i thought that was the cost of doing business and i'm happy to keep uh paying. and yeah. yeah it's not it's 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 not great for the mix six but like the not say for creators obviously have it worse yeah. because <laughs> people looking for erotic stuff are you know sometimes they're unethical weird, <laughs> weirdly enough <laughs> yeah um but the other issue is um the reverse of it. Some Patreons, and this is entirely... I don't know how they decide which is which. Uh, some Patreons you can enable cr- uh, charge up front. Right. Which is what uh, my Patreon, RPPR, Roleplaying Public Radio has, uh, which the instant you sign up for, you're charged for the first month. Right. And so that really sucks if you sign up on like the 20th or the 29th. Right. You sign up on the 29th, and then on the 1st, you're charged again. Yeah. Uh, so those are two real problems people were having. Sure. And so they were trying to solve it by doing this as a 
you get charged on the anniversary of your sign up date every month on the month and you pay the transaction fee yourself. Yeah. Um, which solves those problems, but it creates entirely new problems because right, exactly. the value of Patreon was aggregating pledges yeah. to c- make the cost of doing low pledges more economical. Right. So, um, that was, and they totally underestimated. Yeah. They totally missed that. That, that was the value. of That's, Patreon. that's where things got sideways for me. So like yeah. I said, you know, we, we were watching this thing closely. I mean, you know, we, Caleb and I, at least, we, we check the Patreon incessantly, like almost every day, anyways, just because we want to make sure, like, something hasn't happened. We mm-hmm. haven't said something somewhere we didn't know. We didn't lose a bunch of backers. Or if we gained backers, you know, we want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, what, what was happening, though, is that we weren't actually losing backers. In fact, over the course of time, we gained a couple for reasons yeah. unknown to me. And thank you, Yeah, everyone. this is, this, this has, month has been nothing but good for us, both when they did it right. and then after they did it. I've actually lost more since they've revoked it. Like, yeah. So have we, I think. Actually. So have we, yeah. yeah. But, um, but what's weird is yeah. not weird. What was bad, you know, um, as a as a Twitter account, the Mix Six, but then also just as a personal Twitter account, Egonzord, I'm friends with a bunch of other creators, and it was watching those people. You know, we have we had levels from one to six dollars, and a ton, the bulk of our backers back at six dollars, which is just fucking incredible. Yeah, thank you people so are much amazing. for all of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it, it's it is Justin un- Burt still whacking at right. an obscene amount, a ridiculous. And we owe you a, amount. a kiss. <laughs> it, yes. Would that be good? Whatever you want, man. The, 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 <laughs> because we have backers at such a high level, and, and a number of you pointed this out, um, there was you know a pretty extensive Facebook conversation about this. Um, uh, because many of you back at such a high level, the processing fee wasn't going to make as, as significant. A uh, yeah, as a yeah, percentage yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. going to make as significant yeah. a difference as compared to a lot of those creators who have a bunch of people backing at a dollar. The mm-hmm. and the worst off were actually the people. Um, so the, I think the people who hurt uh, worse off uh, with people who had younger fan bases. Right. Um, right. Like I know Faust from the Thrilling Intent. Uh, she she said she lost two hundred dollars from her Patreon. Yeah, uh, her fan base probably skews younger than ours. Uh, the people who hurt the worst were people who were per item instead of per month. Right. Uh, there was one guy, Michael Prescott, uh, who lost several hundred dollars, and he does like uh, fantasy maps for generic role-playing games like here's a oh, dungeon yeah. and but we, oh we've used some of him for yeah, yeah. snippets of adventure yeah exactly and he does it per item and he does like four maps a month and a lot of people back at a dollar wow. and so like for the people who are uh, there are a ton of people who back like five to ten patrons right at a dollar each and then they're like well i gotta scale back I right gotta cut the i gotta cut the number of people back by half yes and so that that was the real damage was those per those people who would uh, modeled their business on in a way that basically this model was eviscerated. Yeah, absolutely. we were not. We were yeah, basically no, we, right, and and that's the thing. Like I sort, it, it sort of had this guilt factor to it, right? Because um, I felt culpable because like things weren't going as bad for us, right? At the same time, I was like extremely grateful for our patrons so that grateful. were allowing us to like weather this storm yeah. while it came out. But and then I started like really looking at like the ill intent of it. So I started looking at their venture fundal capping oh and like God. I started thinking about how that is factoring into yeah. the situation. I started looking at a breakdowns of fees and how Patreon's like tripling the amount of money they get from fees through this compared to other things. And like and I started like and I, I wrote a draft of our response that was very long because you know seventy four pages. Because I wrote fifteen hundred words. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I wrote a five hundred ninety six page book. What right. the fuck do you think yeah, I was it, write? It, it, it was a red mark red market's version of a response to Patreon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What it was, yeah. And like I still think it was well written. But I, I sort of um and Ross was good to tame me on this fact is like oh, yeah, I was not I, going I, to. I started to seriously assume ill intent and I, I don't think I was necessarily wrong 
Um, but here's the other thing, like strategically, again in dropping in December, they gave Drip a chance. Oh yeah, where no chance existed. So yeah. Drip is Kickstarter's alternative, mm-hmm. and it is a thing that I laughed at the name and instantly dismissed as mm-hmm. it was an invite-only platform, and there was no chance to it, and no one knew anything about it. Right. And by doing this and pulling it back, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. It was. Like, it was going to be a non-issue. Yeah. Kickstarter was going to dump that shit inside a year yep. if it made that long, yep. and now it's got a chance. Yeah. Like, it's got a serious fucking chance because everyone's afraid. Like, we don't own the platform. Right. Like, Patreon can cut us whenever they want right, to. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, they can do whatever they want to us. And, like, people were asking us about an alternative Guys, I hate to tell you, there is no alternative. Drip doesn't even have an RSS feed yet. Right. We could set up like some sort of like jerry rigged PayPal widget fiasco Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. just waiting to be hacked. And like, I know I don't want to run any kind of commerce through a WordPress site after my experiences with WordPress ever (laughs) under any circumstances. So like, we don't really have a lot of options. And it's not because we didn't look. But because they're not out there, right. and Patreon had first mover advantage, and they literally just gave up the initiative. Like yeah. that's all this accomplished. That's the thing. And so you know, then I look at their response because um, you know on the fifteenth, I think they were like, "Ah, we screwed." I up. mean, it could have been worse. It could have been. Well, they they could have kept going. I, with thought it, it. I, I thought it was the actually, perfect PR response. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a really good mea culpa. Right, it yeah. was like we fucked up. Yeah. Uh, we're sorry. We we want to make this for you guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like even, that was the right response. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was the right, and it was also the necessary response. I mean in some ways definitely necessary right once you make a mistake like this right the only thing that you can do is respond as appropriately as possible uh, you know and maybe not appropriately isn't even the word as one expects you to respond and and they made a smart expected business response it wasn't it wasn't we've changed our minds it was we screwed up we were trying to solve some problems in doing so we caused a lot of other unintended problems and we recognize a number of creators have lost a ton of pledges, a ton of backers, a lot of money, and there's nothing we can do about that, and we're terribly sorry. We are going to look for solutions in the future to allow us to solve the problems we want to solve, uh, but this was not not the right solution, and we just messed up. And I don't want to be... I don't the best be, way to do that. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be so cynical as to say, like, fuck you, you don't get to do that, because the reality is they didn't have to do it. Yeah. And then they did it, and they did it... They said about the the most perfect thing you needed to say after making a really stupid fucking decision. So I will give them that credit. Um, does that mean that... But, but at the same time, like, before... And this is stupid of me as Marxist Caleb. Right. Before, I did not consider Patreon, like, a thing I had to worry about. Right. They made their VIG. I paid their credit card fees. I did all of their work for them. Yeah. They did a platform. Right. Why would they fuck it up? And now, every month, I'm like, man, what if they decide to fuck it up, though? Like, that that, that trust thing, is yeah. gone. Like, And that was dumb on my part. And maybe dumb on all of our parts to be like, okay, well, we don't own any of the tools we use to put this shit out there. But with the exception of, like, what the physical things we have in here right now. Right. And, like, as a result, we are beholden to that person we are constantly going to be de- like Marxist Caleb should have been like they own some means of production. I should have always been nervous about this, but now it's like a very keen reminder that I should always be nervous about yeah. this. And like they can't put that genie back in the bottle. No, no, and that, like, that's a, that's like definitely an ill-intended effect of all this. Uh, it is so we've been doing this a little over a year now. I mean, I think we yeah. recorded. I think we launched the Patreon. Like we, we passed our year-long anniversary. Yeah, yet. that's right. Um, yeah, I got a, a notification on ago, Twitter yeah. the other day that mm-hmm. we it was our one-year Twitter anniversary, and mm-hmm. I thought, ah, oh, damn. Um, 
the we've been doing this a little over a year. I never ever and, and this is you know, I think you're right, this is me being uncritical of the thing I should have been more critical of. Yeah, yeah. I never even thought about Patreon as the risk here, right? I was like, we're gonna say something stupid, we're gonna do garbage <laughs> episodes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ross is gonna put in too many sound effects and people are gonna be like they were wrong. Wait, whoa. <laughs> um, okay. I, I I'm thought, right here. I mean, I thought of like <laughs> so many ways in which this all went south. You know, I still do all the time. And none of it involves none Silicon of them Valley. Was the fucking platform. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? I, I, I would have sooner assumed the internet just disappeared and therefore Patreon couldn't function anymore because I thought the model as you assumed, was just so great for them. You know, like I can sit there and just get money. Um, And so, yeah, the moment it showed up, I think there was also part of me, um, while I was upset about it, while I was certainly didn't like it, there was also part of me that was just like, I guess this is the situation in which we live now. And so we're going to have to figure out an alternative to continue to provide content to people. And so, I mean, I think all of us were ready and and willing to sit down and have conversations about what a post-fuck-up model looked like for us. We just... We didn't want to do anything drastic, so we just held out until we we couldn't hold out anymore. Luckily, as Red Marcus has taught me, the answer is always wait. Right. Luckily, wait the, long. The wait and see approach here like yeah. really worked for us. Yeah. And, and and that's not about us. I want to be clear that our passive approach here was not the secret. The secret was all of you. But, but people also, were, we weren't the secret to causing it. That's right. <laughs> but all of our patrons, you you people listening, you were just awesome. I mean, yeah. you know, the the lack of panicked response that we got was awesome and the panicked response we got was totally reasonable and we understand why we got it. I was worried about two well-worded, completely understandable messages. Yes. And like the fact that I could have been worried about like my income just dipped five hundred dollars right. a right. month, yeah. like which we and watched I did, happen, and I to other people, and yeah. we never had to happen. Like yeah. I was worried about that maybe happening for yeah. a couple of days, right. and then it just never happened. I'm like, oh, you guys are solid. It's just not going away. We love you. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And then I was worried about, okay, what do we do for you if this goes through? Right. And then I didn't have to worry about that either. So like this could have been like emotionally traumatic for us like way worse like it could have been like international shipping for red markets all over again for mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. and it wasn't because you people were so nice and and so supportive of yeah. what we do right and that's really like what i'm taking from it right in addition to being nervous about that's the negative side i'm nervous about patreon i am not nervous about our patrons no like no. i'm more confident and happy in them than yeah. I ever have been before. And I was pretty confident and happy in the first Even place. the ones who, the few that left and sent us these totally reasonable either I can't do this or I can't support this anymore, like we totally get that, you know? it. Nothing we got was like world on fire. It'd be like if I posted like a letter to the vending machine I get my Cokes at when they went from like a dollar to a buck twenty-five. This is a bridge too far, sir, and I know it is you responding to market pressure. Right. Like it was like, it was like a 99, it was like great. It yeah. was like well worded, I understand totally it. Totally get it. No, yeah, no ill will whatsoever. None. none. But, it, yeah, but luckily, we nuts. didn't have to go through that too many times yeah. because they were just awesome people who were also waiting and seeing. Or we're going to get through it and then just continue to pay, which um, which is just like fucking incredible and shocking and weird and humbling and like a little bit queasiness inducing. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's the coolest thing. So um, you know, that's that's kind of those are I guess as as best we can cobble them together in this moment our thoughts on the issue on what happened for the 10 days leading up to today i guess (laughs) 
May we never talk about it again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'd be really excited about Uncertainty that. Uncertainty in the modern age. That's right. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you've been listening to any and or all of this, uh, probably means that you are a backer. Certainly, hopefully means that you're a backer. But if you're not a backer, uh, that's totally cool, too. Thanks so much for any of the support you give us, even if it's just downloading and listening to this shit wherever you are and whenever you're doing it. We appreciate whatever we can get from you, and we certainly hope you're appreciating what you get from us um, if you're not following us on Twitter check us out at the mix six on Facebook facebook.com slash the mix six we have a page and a group you can now find some of our content on YouTube we're posting older episodes of snippets of adventure now that season one is pretty much wrapped up yep uh, we're, we're probably now, one episode left the, yeah. yeah the the finale before the time this drops maybe not though I don't fucking know anymore um, and you can check out our website www.themixed6.com thanks for listening to all or whatever part of this you tuned in for once again I'm Spencer I'm Caleb this has been the mix six and we'll see you next Thank you.